that, God, you've got us through another year. And I pray today, God, for the next few moments that you would just speak to our hearts in a way that only you can do. In Christ's name, amen. So, Roger Gunn told me I better have a short message this morning. He's hungry. Um, and I, I did practice it last night. It only took me an hour and a half, so I think I can shorten it a little bit. Uh, today we're going to talk about new beginnings. And as I was talking to Brittany the other day about last time I had a chance to preach, I, I preached on a subject called practical atheism. And it was one of those times I felt like I preached what God wanted me to. And then when we left, I said, man, Brittany, it was kind of rough on him, wasn't I? <laughs> I was kind of rough on him, I felt like. So he, here's my goal today, that you don't leave here feeling beat up. I hope today that you leave here encouraged, uh, ready to face another year. And looking at the events of this past year, um, moving past them and heading towards a new beginning. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. Do you have a memorable new year? Do you have a, a new year or a new year's resolution that you can think back on? Uh, for me, one of the most memorable new years was Y2K. Um, most of the teenagers have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was when 1999 became 2000. Supposedly, all the computers were going to crash because they supposedly weren't designed to have a 2 and a 0. And it was all this, uh, this hype built up, and we thought that the world was just going to practically end. And I remember watching, watching Midnight, and you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. It was such a letdown. I was hoping at least a transformer would explode somewhere, and there would be a little bit of excitement. Um, but what a privilege it is today to have the honor to fill the pulpit for Brother Michael on the last day of the year. Get to close out 2017, uh, hopefully encouraging you through a message that God's put on my heart. So, let's look back. Let's look back at 2017, and uh, what, is, what does this year look like for you and for your family? Has it been a good year? Has there been ups and downs as there usually is? Um, have there been choices and decisions you made this year that you regret? Uh, some of you, you've made it through Christmas. You have way more credit card debt than you anticipated. Um, you're trying to figure out how you're going to pay all that off over the next couple of months. Maybe this year you bought a car that was a lemon. Um, I've been there. <laughs> uh, this year I got a car out of the shop that was there for 12 months. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> but maybe you made some poor investments this year. Maybe this year you lost someone close. And the adjustment of, of having to to accept that or to live with that or to learn how to live without someone has been difficult. And maybe for you, you're just ready for this year to be over. Maybe for you, you met someone new this year. Maybe a new relationship, a new marriage. Maybe you invited a new child into your family. Maybe you made good investments. Good for you, praise the Lord. Maybe you went through financial peace with Tyler and Whitney. Um, but whatever the events of this year have looked like in your life, Something that I'm so grateful for is that the God that we serve, the God that we love, the God that we have spent time intentionally worshiping this morning is a God of new beginnings. What I've learned in 35 years 
is that there are moments in our life that are teachable moments. I had a time in my life, I was 22 years old, I'd made some bad choices, uh, I had I had to be punished for some of those, and, and in the process of that, I'm thinking, God, this can't get any worse. I remember driving home to, to Birmingham, where I lived in an apartment, and as I pulled up to my apartment, I unloaded my dog and her five puppies, and I came out, and my truck was gone. Broad daylight, just parked it. It was stolen. It was the week of finals. I did ha- they stole my books. They stole my winter clothes that my mom had washed. Thank you, Mama. Thank you for washing my clothes. Thank you, Brittany, for washing my clothes. Um, but in that moment, it was inconvenient. I, I wasn't ready for finals. I didn't have the assignments that I was need to turn in. And I'm thinking, this can't get any worse. And the very next day, I was headed to a job interview, and I had a wreck. I hit a car that hit a car that hit a car. And I remember sitting in the ditch crying as a 22-year-old man, thinking, God, what is it? What are you trying to teach me? And in that moment, I had an option to be teachable or to not. And today we're going to talk about a guy in the Bible that found himself in this same scenario. Throughout history, there have been people who went through things where God taught them. I think about Moses. I think about the shepherd who was on the backside of nowhere when God spoke to him through a burning bush. And he said, I have something I want you to do. Moses, think about what he went through. He had committed murder. He wasn't allowed to go back to Egypt. And God told him, I want you to go rescue my people who have been slaves for 400 years. Moses doubted that he could do it. He made a bunch of excuses, but finally he said, okay, God, I'll do it. And through the process of that, through watching an entire army drown, Moses learned that there were moments that were teachable and that God is a God of new beginnings. I think about Noah. The task, the task that Noah was given... To build a boat. And it took him a while, didn't it? All the people that made fun of him. The people that called him crazy. And and I imagine every single day as he labored over that boat. There had to be moments when he looked at it and he thought, this is stupid. What am I doing? Why am I here? Is this really going to happen? But Moses was faithful. He was teachable. And eventually, there was a day when he felt that first raindrop. And it was all worth it. I think about characters in history like, like Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, over a course of 28 years of his life, from 1832 to 1860, eight times he failed in an election or a nomination. Two times he started a business that was a failure. His wife died. He had a nervous breakdown. But in 1860, the man who was teachable and didn't quit, was elected as the president of the United States of America. I think about Joseph, who Brother Michael talked about last week. Joseph, who was a man that was engaged to be married to a young girl that was a virgin. And she said, I'm going to have a baby. Moses was in a moment of crisis in his life. I imagine he was confused. He may have been angry. But this was a moment where he was teachable. It was a moment of new beginnings for him. God spoke to him. He accepted his responsibility of being the father of Jesus. And he lived it out. Today we're going to talk about a guy. 
guy named David. When I think about who David was, a shepherd boy who became well-known because he could sing. You know, just a minute ago when I was playing bass, I had this microphone on, and I had already turned it on, so I wouldn't forget, and I was hoping, well, I hope Chris don't turn this thing on, <laughs> or everybody can hear me sing up here, because it's going to be just almost as disruptive as when Michael sings with his mic on. Uh, but, but David was a shepherd boy who, through times looking at a flock of sheep, he spent a lot of time talking to God. And at times when God delivered him from wild animals that were coming to attack, to the moment God brought him to where he stood before a giant. And with one stone, he took the giant's life. The giant who was blaspheming God and his army and his people. David became friends with a guy named Joshua. Excuse me, named Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. Later, David became... The second king of the United Kingdom of Israel and of Judah. The greatest king Israel would ever have. He goes on to conquer Jerusalem. Removing the much hated Philistines. And moving the Ark of the Covenant there. In an act to proclaim God as the living king. David in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. Became titled and known as a man after God's own heart. David who had conquered so much. But was David always successful? Was every moment in the history of his life and his story a moment where he submitted to God's will and to God's plan? What we're going to read about today is a story that's not fun to read about and it's not really fun to preach on. But this is a moment that a guy known throughout history as a man after God's own heart, the greatest king that Israel ever saw, had a moment of weakness. A moment that was teachable. And we're going to talk about today how he handled that moment. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse 1. The author of 2 Samuel. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy over who it, who it was. But I like when someone starts out a passage in a way that's kind of unusual. He starts out with two words that said it happened. <laughs> Which is kind of strange. If I were reading a book and a chapter started out with the words, it happened, I would think, well, that's pointing towards something. So it says this. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle. What this is talking about right here, as it's introducing in the next sentence, the main character of this story, David. It's talking about a time when David should have been with his army. Fighting in the battle. And for whatever reason, maybe it was lack of faith. Maybe it was he feared for his life. Or maybe it was a secret sin that he was struggling with. For whatever reason, David in this moment was outside of God's will and God's plan for his life. David was supposed to be on the battlefield with his soldiers. But where was he? That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. Some translations say the entire army. It says, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. The writer there again in the end of that sentence said, but here was David still at home. Not where he was supposed to be according to God's plan. 
So what happened? What happened in the next couple of moments? It's David doubting the faithfulness and the protection of God. And here's the truth. If you are not in the place doing what God wants you to do, you're running the risk of being outside of God's guidance and God's protection. This is the exact place that David found himself on a rooftop that evening. Point number one is this. David was in the wrong place at the right time. Often you hear it say the wrong place at the wrong time, but if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, that can put you at the right place, right? But he was in the wrong place at the right time for something bad to happen in his life. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually. I'm talking about mentally. I'm talking about emotionally, physically. David was in the wrong place. David, like most of us over the course of 2017, we get comfortable in our Christian walk, don't we? We come to a place to where we just kind of go through the motions. And we find ourselves in danger of being in this exact moment where David was, in the same place where he was. So listen to what verse 2 through 5 say. The author says this, then it happened. He's referencing it again. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked down on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sat and inquired about the woman. And someone said, this is what I would explain to my teenagers at Regroup as a rhetorical question. When you ask a question that you know the answer for, but it's really you're making a statement in the form of a question. The servant said this, Is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? This person was saying to David, Hey, you idiot, she's married. Why are you inquiring about her? She's off limits. But what does David do? Then David sent the messenger and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed, for her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived so she sent and told David and said I am with child David was in the wrong place at the right time physically spiritually mentally emotionally but here's what happened at this moment in the story David realized that he messed up but David did exactly what a lot of us do in this moment David was king he was a fixer he was in control. He had power. And often when something went bad, he did like we do. He tried to fix it. So David, in the midst of this circumstance, decided he, he was going to try to, to smooth this over. So what does he do? He calls for her husband, who was on the battlefield fighting for him. One of Dave, David's lead soldiers, one of his best. He calls for him to come in, and he tries to set forth some actions and some things to where Uriah would go home and hang out with his wife for a little while and he would think that that was his child and David would be in the clear. So as that happens, here's the irony of the way that the direction of this story goes. Uriah was so dedicated to David and to God and to the cause that he was fighting for that he wouldn't go home. It says that he slept on the doorstep of the king's house with the king's servant. David called to him the next day. He said, hey, why, why are you not going home? And Uriah said, look, I can't go home and enjoy the things of life while my brothers are out there fighting. He said, I can't go enjoy the things of life 
when I'm dedicated to you and to the ark and to God's presence. And the irony is, is there's a man standing in front of him who was intentionally trying to smooth over the sin in his life and fix it. And so what happens? David's second attempt fails. And so he sends Uriah to the front lines of the battle where he, along with a lot of his fellow brothers, are killed. Already, the sin of one man is starting to affect the lives of a lot of other people. And David's sending Uriah to the front lines of, of the battle. You know what we call that? Murder. We call that murder. He premeditated murder this man on the front lines of the battle so that he could not have to face the sins of his life. This was a moment that was teachable for him. So just like in most of our lives, God sends somebody who is a voice of reason. I don't know about you, if you have someone in your life who just kind of speaks truth, who don't sugarcoat it, who when they see you messing up or doing something, they just tell you how it is, and you don't want to hear it. A lot of times you don't believe them, you don't receive it. But in David's life, it was a guy named Nathan. Nathan came to David, and he said, hey, Hey, man, uh, let me tell you this story. He said, so, so there's a, a rich man who has many herds and flocks of livestock and animals. And there's a poor man who gets one small sheep. This poor man raises this sheep with his children. It eats off their table. It sleeps right under them. He raises this sheep, this one animal, as if it were his own child. It's very special to him. And one day there was someone traveling through. And this rich man... Instead of taking one from the many of his herds, of his livestock, he goes and takes that one animal from the poor guy, and he slaughters it to feed his guests. Well, David is enraged. David says, tell me who this guy is. He deserves to be punished four times more. As a matter of fact, he deserves to die. And Nathan looked eye to eye with King David. He said, that man's you. They said, you could have had anybody in the kingdom, but you chose a lady who was next. You committed adultery. You had her husband killed. Nathan said to him, there's going to be some things that you're going to suffer. Some things are going to happen to you as repercussions for this sin. And then David finds himself in a moment where he realizes the weight of his actions are on him and on no one else. This is what he does. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. This is what David says. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Point number two today, David admitted his sin. In order for David to be taught something in this moment, he had to realize that he can't, Fix his sin. He can't do it anymore. That he was wrong. Nathan says to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who was born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. So Nathan gives David good news. He says, look, you're not going to die because of this, but 
other people will be affected. It will affect your kingdom. It will affect a lot of things in your life. But step number one was David had to admit his sin. He had to call it out for what it was so that God could start the healing process and give him a new beginning. So what happens after that? David in this moment, in the moment of truth from his friend Nathan, realized that this was on him. He was responsible for this. And he finally figured out how to fix it. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and it became ill. Verse 16 says this, David therefore pleaded with God for the child and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. David realized, and this is point number three, on our knees in prayer is where God can fix us. David had to fall on his face before God. And he had, he had to realize that he needed to spend some time getting back to the God that had done so much in his life. The God that gave him the strength to defeat Goliath. The God that had blessed him so much. It was time for him to spend some time on his face. So how long did he do this? So the elders of his house, in verse 17, arose and went to him to raise up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, for seven days, his heart broke. On his face before God. He didn't eat. He didn't do anything but pray. On the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servant of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. They were afraid to tell him because he was acting a little bit crazy. All right? But David in this moment had just spent a week on his face before God. Verse 19 says, When David saw his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David is right on the verge of a brand new beginning. Here's what happens. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and went to the house of the Lord and he worshipped. This is the moment when David realized the weight of his sin and the repercussions of it have affected his family, have affected his kingdom, have it affected his personal relationship with a God that loved him. He spent time asking for forgiveness and crying out to God. And in this moment, he realized it's time to get up and it's time to go. And he said, while the child... So the servants questioned David. They said, you know, how is it that you were in mourning, that you were tore up over this, and now that we tell you your child is dead, it's like you're okay? David said this. He said, and the child, with the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. What David said was, I will look forward to the time and the place where I will reunite with my child in heaven. But what's done is done. It's time to start over. This is the point to where a lot of us in our life, when we're going through difficulties, a lot of us in this past year when we face tough stuff, we want to just be defeated. We want to whine about it. 
Listen, we live in a country that people play the victim card and they live in it for years at a time. Listen, what David said was, I don't need to go to a doctor. I don't need to get medicine for my depression. I need to get up and I need to live life to make a difference. If you don't believe me, look right here at Psalms chapter 51. Listen to the words of David. He said, have mercy on me, O God. And I could imagine that he wrote these words in the moment, in those seven days when he's crying out to God in the midst of his situation. These are the words that he said to God. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Have your hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Listen to what he said right here. He says, cleanse in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver from me the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He's asking forgiveness for murder right there. He said, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and, and my, mouth shall, my mouth shall show forth your praise. In this passage... He is crying out to God for a new beginning. He is asking God to forgive him of the, the events of his life so that he can be used to make a difference. And I think that day when David stood up and he went and changed clothes and he went and worshipped, I think something changed in him. And I wonder... The events of this year in your life, in the history of your family, and the choices that you've made, are they some that have affected your life? Are they some that have affected your walk? Are they some that have affected the way that you're a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad? And are there moments this year that have been teachable moments when God has taught you and he has brought you through something? Are there moments that you missed? Just like David God gave him a new beginning. Point number four. Just like David in 2017, we have made, some of us, poor choices. We've been spiritually, emotionally, physically, many, mentally outside of God's will and plan. If so, then his provision and his protection and his guidance might have been off of our lives. Which, which is why we have faced what we have. So... It's time to stop being in the wrong place at the right time by following God first, by calling sin, sin, by stop trying to fix or change it, 
or cover it up. And it's time to hit our knees and let him fix us and fix our situation. As we stand up, be grateful that God is a good God and a God of new beginnings. That he can create in us a clean heart and that he can restore to us the joy of our salvation. Do you remember what it was like the moment you became a Christian? Do you remember the weight that you felt lifted? Do you remember the joy that entered not just your thoughts or your body, but your spirit in a way that you had never experienced before? Some of us in this room today, it's time that we revisit that joy. It's time that God needs to restore the joy of your salvation. The same thing that David, in the midst of his circumstance, was crying out to God to do for him. Because he was teachable. And he was in a moment when God was trying to show him something. How many of you have had that moment this year? Maybe you acknowledged it. Maybe you ignored it. Maybe you tried to fix your situation. Maybe you, like David, finally came to a point to where you hit your knees. You said, God, I can't do this. I need you to. If you did, and if you have the opportunity to do that today, here's what I promise you will happen. When you stand up, God will give you a new beginning. We've got 12 hours. I don't have my watch on today. Maybe 12 and a half hours left in the year 2017. And my hope and my prayer and my desire is that for you, 2018 will be the greatest year in the history of your life, of your family, in the history of this church, that this will be the greatest year ever. But some of us, we just need a new start. We need for God to restore the joy of our salvation. Maybe we need forgiveness of something. Maybe you've said or done something this year to someone. And this morning your, your breath smells like dirty socks because you put your foot in your mouth. Maybe you need to just ask forgiveness. You know, it's a simple concept that we teach our kids. When, when you say things that are hurtful, you don't get to undo that. And sometimes we just have to apologize and fix it to move on. What do you need today? Do you need a new beginning? Do you need a clean heart? Do you need a fresh start? A friend of mine once said this phrase to me and it stuck with me. He said this. He said that every setback is a setup for a comeback. Which means that the difficulties you face this year has been an opportunity for you to accent God's goodness. God's forgiveness. And a loving God that gives us a chance at a new beginning. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful that in my life, in the moments when I've been disobedient, when I deserved punishment, and I deserve the worse than even David saw. That God says, you know what, child? I love you. And I love you not because you deserve it, because that's who I am. Let's start over. Let's hit the reset button. So I don't know where you are today. Um, but it's, it's a new year. Whether you want it or not, tomorrow will be 2018. You'll have to write it different on your checks and everything you sign. And this year will be over. 
But it makes me wonder how many of us this time last year, we made God a promise. We had a New Year resolution. And how many of us, spiritually, we stuck to it? You know, my hope and my prayer for my life and my family is that we would realize what David realized. That we are here to make a difference. We are here to use the abilities and the time that God's given us for him to change the life of others. Will you do that this year in 2018? Bow your hand and close your eyes. A new beginning in your life represents a good God who is forgiving, who is loving, and who has a plan for your life. And so maybe... In your life, maybe it's, it's the fact of being in God's plan, being in God's will, being where you're supposed to be. At the beginning of that story, David was not where he was supposed to be, and because of it, it caused a lot of difficulty and a lot of pain. Maybe t- this morning, spiritually speaking, you are lost. You're wandering around. You've never had a moment in your life when you gave your heart and your life to Him based on the events of Jesus on the cross. And raising from the grave. Maybe you're here today and you don't know that you're a Christian. Before this year is over. I can't think of a more perfect time than this morning for you to take care of that. That you could face 2018 in a brand new way. With the joy in your spirit that you've never experienced before. If that's you this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a second. As we stand in just a moment. To cry out to God and to give your life to Him. If you want to come to the altar, if you want to come talk to me for just a second, I can can tell you how to do that. Maybe for you, it's something different. Maybe it's something that happened this year. Maybe it's, it's the hurt and pain that you felt because you've lost someone. Or maybe it's anger towards God because of a situation in your life. Or, or bitterness. Whatever it is. Listen, it's time to start over, guys. It's time to hit the reset button. It's time to look into a brand new year and start over with a smile on our face and the joy of the Lord in our heart. God, I thank you for the people in this place. God, a building that we call a church, but I know that the church are the people that sit in these seats. They're your church, they're your children, they're my family. I pray today, God, that if there's something in their life that they need to be obedient to do business with you, that God, in this exact moment, they would do that. If there's someone that don't know you, I pray, God, you give them the courage and the strength to step out and to make the best decision they'll ever make in their life. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we each this morning would realize that you are a God of new beginnings. That we will become people who are teachable. We would learn what we need to learn through the things we face in life. And God, together, we would live life to make a difference for you. We give this moment to you completely. In Christ's name, amen.